How many of you like pop quizzes? People, you like pop quizzes? Okay, well I have a pop quiz for you this morning. What is this? I'm sorry, you're wrong. How many of you said clock? Okay, that's partially right, but this is far more than a clock. Okay? It may look like a clock, but this was a Christmas gift from my my wife and my kids this last Christmas. Or Father's Day, Christmas, Father's Day. I should know this. (laughs) A Christmas gift from my, my wife and kids. And this has just an incredible amount of meaning as a gift to me because it was not on my list. You ever have gifts like that? Something that's not on your list and then someone just nails it. Someone gets exactly what you'd want. And my garage has a lot of this this metal and the the metal um, different um, racks and things like that. So this just fits right in. But... This last week, or the week we were on vacation, part of my, my things I wanted to do was hang this somewhere. But that implies something, that for nine months, what hasn't happened? <laughs> it has sat in its box on my workbench, because I needed to rearrange some things in the garage for it to fit on a wall and, and find, some, find a, a spot for it. And Susie mentioned to me, so, so did you not like the clock that I got you? Why would she say that? Because I didn't hang it right away. I just left it sitting there. I know, poor choice. But but they're just you know how projects are. You have a list of things that have to get done before this can go up and and figure out a place and move it and things. But you can see where by not hanging it, by leaving it in its bo- in its box unused, the implication is I didn't care for the gift. And I didn't care for the work and the thought that she had put into it. Was that true? No. The gift means so much because it's a perfect gift for my garage and and working out there and and, um, it just fits perfectly. This morning I want to use that as a jumping off point to talk about our relationship with God. Do we sometimes do the same thing with God? Do we take gifts that He has given to us and things that He's intended for us to enjoy and to revel in and set them on the shelf for a while? Sometimes leave them in the box. How do, and, and at its core, the issue is, how do we deal with or how do we view spirituality? How do we view a walk with God? And so this morning we're going to explore that as we go back to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and look at verses 3 through 5 of the text we started last week. Last week we focused on the false teachers and Paul's teaching on, the, um, teaching on how to be on guard and how to watch out for them. Today I want to look at their teaching, the content of their teaching, and say, okay, what can we learn from, from the content of their teaching not to do because it was a false teaching, And then how do we respond to God? So turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And the title of this morning is Good Servants of a Good God Who Gives Good Things. I don't know if you hear any any repetition there. But we want to talk about enjoying a good God this morning. Enjoying the Christian life as He intended. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 
And just by, by reminder, verses 1 and 2, Paul is talking about the false teachers and how they're, the source of their false teaching, their power comes from Satan himself. Um, and they're, they're living lives of hypocrisy. That's one way they are teaching falsehood as well as lying, verbally teaching falsehood. And then he comes to verse 3, and we started to deal with this last week, but I want to jump off from here. What is the content of their teaching? Let's read 3 through 5. Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And out of those three verses, I want to grab four different points. Four different thoughts. And, and the thoughts are actually woven throughout all the verses because Paul here is using repetition himself and, and really giving us several different arguments in those three verses. But the first thought that I want to come to out of this is we draw close to God by enjoying Him and His gifts. We draw close to God by enjoying Him and His gifts. And this is worded a little differently than you'll see in, in the text. This is the positive side of what the false teachers were trying to do. Catch what they were doing in verse 3. They forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And so as we talked about last week, they were promoting an asceticism that you should deny the, deny the enjoyment of things that are physical. Deny the enjoyment of food. Deny the enjoyment of marriage and, and all of the intimacy and all the, that comes with marriage. Because those are of the physical realm. So how could you enjoy those and be spiritual? And it's coming from a root philosophy that says, to be spiritual, I must deny everything here. I must be sad, stoic, and then I'm somehow holier. And in fact, the false teachers were teaching that to do these things would make you holier. It somehow would make you more spiritually mature, or to not do these things, actually. To, to, to abstain from these things somehow elevated you to a different spiritual level from everyone around you. Now think about that. They're equating denying, enjoying what God has given with drawing close to God. And that's a problem with the clock. I'm going to keep coming back to, to the clock today. With the clock, was I drawing close to Susie by leaving it in the box on the counter? All the wives are going, no. <laughs> Please don't be angry with me, wives. <laughs> They're all going to get letters today. You should treat your wife better. <laughs> no, I'm not drawing close by leaving it in the box. Why? Because she gave it for me to enjoy. Her intention was that I would enjoy this gift. And so by by me not enjoying it, I am violating her intention and saying her intention wasn't worthwhile to me. Now come back to the argument in, in 1 Timothy. They're forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from foods. And Paul, you get a clue to his argument here, that God created to be received with thanksgiving. And so Paul's argument is God made these things and gave them as gifts to be received. Not to just be looked at, oh, I wish I could do that, but to be received. And as we receive what He has given, we honor what He has done. 
And we draw close to him. We draw close to him. Now, in this case, it's marriage and abstinence. And, and as I mentioned last week, we have a long history throughout the church of, of marriage sometimes being viewed as, as less holy than singleness. Um, the church fathers were, were almost unanimous, one author wrote, in praising virginity as superior to marriage. The Council of Trent in the 16th century denounced those who denied that virginity was superior to the married state. And so we, we for some reason, have throughout history tended to make this hierarchy, well, if you somehow give up those things, then you're more spiritual. And this morning, I want to say the obvious. God wants us to enjoy what he's given us. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. And in fact, to not enjoy what he's given to us is to create a distance between us and our creator. It's to challenge the creator and say that what he created is not good. That's a challenge. So we see in verse 3, they were forbidding marriage. They were requiring abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. And it's not that those that don't believe can't enjoy what God has created, but what that is saying is God specifically intended these to be enjoyed by His children. By His children. A lot of you have children here. You come to Christmas time, you, you, you work hard and you give gifts to your children at Christmas time. What is the, what is your goal for their response? Is it open it up? Oh, I hate that. As a parent, what are you feeling at that point in time? Oh yeah, that's the last Christmas gift you ever get. Why? Because our goal is, was to do something, in, something for our children. And we see in verse 3 here that God is saying they were created to be received with thanksgiving, to create an attitude within those who believe and know the truth. Within my children, this was to draw us close, where they would be thanking me and, and grateful for me, and I'd give them something they could enjoy. And the false teachers were denying that because they wanted to find holiness and spiritual maturity in other ways, in ways they could control, in ways that they could work toward. And at its heart, this puts an axe to the gospel. And I think I mentioned that last week. Because it says, Christ's death on the cross is not enough to make me holy. It's not enough to draw me into relationship. I need to give up some other things. I need to do penance somehow. You know, why would, why would something like this be appealing? If I had someone saying, okay, you can't eat any of the foods you enjoy, and you can't get married and enjoy a relationship with your wife and the companionship and, and, and the helpmate and the, the partnership there, if I had someone come in and say, you can't do both of those, I'd be like, there's the door. I like those things. I enjoy, I enjoy tasty food and, and, and I enjoy being married and having a, a relationship with my wife and, just a, a knowing companionship. But so why would these things be appealing? And I just want to throw out three ideas that get us thinking. These are by no means all-inclusive. But so many times a, a doctrine like this is appealing because we want to earn grace. We want to earn grace. Now, now think about that. What is grace? Unmerited favor. Something I don't earn. And so the fact that Christ died on the cross for my sins, 
and I can receive salvation simply by repenting and believing on Him, and I don't have to do anything, I think bugs us our entire lives here on earth. And we fight against that our entire lives because our natural man says, I need to do something. I need to take care of this. And so the false teachers are tapping into that and saying, you're right. You need to, you need to work for your salvation. You need to work for your holiness. So let's not do these things. So it's a challenge to grace. I think sometimes we, we gravitate towards teaching like this because we want to feel holier than other people in the room. We want to feel holier than other people in the room. See, if it's simply God's grace that He freely gives that I don't deserve, then there's an equality in the body, isn't there? Because everyone has been freely given grace that that repent and accept Christ and come into relationship with Him. But our natural man, again, we want to somehow feel superior. We want to feel a little more spiritual. And so if I can come up with some other definitions of what it means to walk with God, and if I do those, man, that feels good. feels good. I think at times, as I was thinking through why a doctrine like this, a teaching like this would be appealing, it also could be that at times there are other things in my life that I know are contrary to Scripture that I don't want to give up. And so if I can substitute it and give up some things that, that I'm able to give up, then I can hold on to other things that are sin that I don't want to give up. There could be all kinds of other reasons, but this teaching taps into our natural tendency to want to earn our holiness and salvation, to want to feel holier than others, but also to not quite surrender to God everything. But the point that that Paul starts with is those things don't create spiritual maturity. Those things don't draw us closer to God. We will never be more spiritual and draw closer to God simply through a list of rules and regulations. And that's what they were trying to narrow it down to because that's easier that's easier than understanding what it means to actually know God and be known by God. So the first point is is an obvious one, hopefully an obvious one. Draw close to God by enjoying Him and His gifts. When When we go on vacation and enjoy what He has created, you are drawing close to God because, not because God is in nature, but because you are enjoying what He created and gave you to enjoy. As you have a, a, a just a, a wonderfully prepared meal that Joey prepared at Jazz Kid, no, <laughs> and you're enjoying this food, think of it in a different way. God created this food and God created my taste buds so I can enjoy it. There is nothing wrong with enjoying God's gifts. And in fact, I think so many times we give people a wrong idea of Christianity because we're afraid to enjoy things that God has created. And we equate spirituality with sadness. And man, walking with God should be the most incredible thing we do. And it should be a life of joy and, and, and vitality. And people need to see that. So beware of trying to feel or be spiritual through a list of, of rules and regulation. Draw close to Him by enjoying Him and His gifts. 
Second point that, that we see out of this passage is we bring glory to God and proclaim that He is good by enjoying what He has given. We bring glory to God and we proclaim that He is good by enjoying what He has given. In verse 4 there, for everything created by God is good. And so if, if God has created these things that are good and I deny those things and say, no, I can't do those things, what am I saying about what God called good? I am saying the Creator blew it. I am saying that this is not truly good. And so that, that's Paul's argument here, is back to creation. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the Word of God and prayer. And so the false teachers were attacking the Creator. They were attacking His design. They were attacking the goodness of the Creator. But everything created by God is good. As you fit that into theology, just a side note, this is another verse that we would use to show that God cannot be the author of sin. That God cannot be the author of evil in this world. That He is not. Because everything created by God is good. And so we bring glory to God by affirming His goodness, by enjoying the life He has given. It is a good thing to enjoy family. It is a good thing, grandparents, to have your grandchildren come sit on your lap and you just can't stop smiling. You are glorifying God when you do that because you are enjoying a gift that He has given. And we, we, we can separate secular and spiritual, and we'll talk about that in a moment, and say, well, that's, that's just our secular life. And over here, as I, as I read and meditate, that's my spiritual life. And this morning, one of the points of, of how do we enjoy God is realizing that life is spiritual. Holding our grandchildren is spiritual. Enjoying what He is giving is spiritual. Taking a walk with our spouse on the beach and feeling that companionship and that, that closeness is spiritual because we are glorifying God Almighty. And we are affirming that His creation is good. In verse 5, Paul, Paul brings all this together and says, For it is made holy by the Word of God. By the Word of God. And, and he's referring there probably specifically to the food and, and that the Judaizers were saying, well, no, there's certain foods that we can't have. And forgetting that Jesus, by His Word, had said all things were clean. That God, through that vision to Peter, had said, rise and eat. All things that I've created are clean. In James 1, 16 and 17, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no shift, variation or shadow due to change. God is the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift. And as we enjoy them, we glorify Him. Flip over to 1 Timothy 6.17. Just two pages, or however many pages, two chapters. And we'll get to this passage in a few weeks, but he's talking about riches and the danger of, of how we view money. But he says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. But then he comes back to this concept. But on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
I'm supposed to enjoy what God has given me? I, that, that, that almost rubs me wrong sometimes until I remember God wants me to enjoy His gifts. Just as Susie, when she gave me that clock, her goal was that I would enjoy it. And by not enjoying it, I was offending. God created marriage and called it good. Jesus affirmed this. God created food and called it good. And Jesus affirmed that. We can go to all kinds of other areas. Some of them are are gray areas that we in a church can, can have this view. Oh, well, we don't do that if we're spiritual. We don't do that if we're spiritual. And we'll talk in a moment of how do we process some of those things. But the danger is we do come up with a list of what spiritual people do. Well, how they're supposed to behave, what they're supposed to do, what they're not supposed to do. And then we start judging each other and evaluating each other's spirituality by whether they conform to our list. Well, Paul is saying God created, everything God created is good. Enjoy it. I love Piper's quote. John Piper wrote a book and then another book and he, this keeps coming up in his teaching. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in Him. And he argues that we should enjoy what God has given and that that glorifies God because it honors the Creator. Flip to the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Speaking of what God has said about His creation. Genesis 1.31 It's at the end of creation and this is God's summary. And God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Simple verse, right? We learn it in Sunday school. But understand the theological implications. God said it is very good what I have created. And so we honor His Word by enjoying what he has given. Now, keep in mind there there are there are boundaries to this. And when we look at ban we'll, we'll look at boundaries in point number 3, but even in the in verse 4 there, for everything created by God is good. What does it not say? For everything is good. Okay? And it doesn't deal with other... It doesn't say... It says for everything created by God is good. And Paul is bringing back a boundary to how God intended creation and how He intended it to be used. Remember that creation is groaning under the weight of sin. And it has been defiled and defaced because of the fall. And so not everything we see today is what we're to enjoy from God. Make sense? So don't go running out and saying, you know, Pastor Ron said I could enjoy whatever I want to do. That is not where we're going this morning. What God has given as a gift in His Word, we are to enjoy. I won't, I won't live there too long. We'll visit that again in point three. Point number three. Don't hold yourself or others to spiritual rules that are not biblical. Don't hold yourself or others to spiritual rules that are not biblical. That's what the false teachers were doing. They had come up with these two other rules, said you're, more, you're holier, you're more spiritual if you don't do these things, and, they, and those were not in Scripture. 
And so here, this point comes to a test of what we can and can't do, what we should and shouldn't do. Should I do this? Should I confront someone who's doing this? And we come back to the test is Scripture. And we saw that in verse 5. For it is made holy by the Word of God. All things created by God. And we're coming back to using Scripture as a boundary, as a fence that defines what God has allowed us to do. When we talk about food, God has, has created food for us to enjoy. It tastes good. If He didn't want us to enjoy it, then He would have taken away our taste buds or wouldn't have given us taste buds. We enjoy food. But does that mean gluttony is right? No. Why do we know gluttony is wrong? Because it's in Scripture. I'm hearing all these... Because it's in Scripture. And so Scripture forms a boundary of what I'm to enjoy and what I'm not to enjoy. It's a silly example, but carrying our metaphor... All metaphors break apart, so just bear with me a little bit. If I took this to the garage and said, I'm going to enjoy this, Susie gave this to me, and I get out my sledgehammer and start destroying it, how's Susie feeling? You're a jerk. You're defiling the gift that I gave you. And and in a simple way, that's what Scripture serves to do, is this is the boundary, this is God's instructions for how to use His gifts. He's given us marriage, and that relationship in marriage, and, and the implication here is the intimacy of marriage, but He's given us boundaries for that. That the sexual relationship is only within the context of marriage. Only. And that's the fence, he says, and enjoy it fully in the context of marriage. But don't step outside of the fence. And so we get this concept of don't hold yourself or others to spiritual rules that are not biblical. The Bible becomes our boundary, and God's creation, what his intentions are, becomes the boundary. He created it, he gets to write the owner's manual. He knows best. We saw Genesis 1.31 that he created, and it was called good. In Mark 7.15, Jesus said there is nothing outside a person that is going into him that can defile him. He's calling food clean at that point. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. He says, but watch what you say. Watch what you do. Watch what comes from the heart. And so how do we, how do we know if I should or shouldn't do this? And the first step is to test it with Scripture. And I have five things there that could be their own message. I'm just going to move them through them quickly. Test it with Scripture. Is this prohibited in Scripture? Is this allowed in Scripture? Part of questions you can ask under this to try to understand what Scripture is saying is, does this bring glory to God? It's interesting that Paul throughout this passage says, enjoy it with thanksgiving. Enjoy this because the Word of God has made it holy and prayer. And when I think of thanksgiving and prayer and and something I'm doing, that's a great test. If I can do this, and while I'm doing whatever this activity says, you know, this is for the glory of God, I'm praying that God will bless this, that's probably a good indication that this is something that God would allow, if it's allowed in Scripture. But man, if I'm doing something that I can't go to God and say this is from God, then probably that's a boundary that I'm crossing. So what boundaries does Scripture place on this activity? And this is a challenge because we can become, we, we, we can, we can make the same error that the Pharisees made where scripture gave certain requirements 
and then they built a whole set of rules around those requirements. And understand this, if, if one, if someone, if they wanted to do that, if they felt God by, called by God to do it and their intentions were right, great, stay as far away from sin as you can. The error was when they started telling others, you're not spiritual unless you follow the same boundaries that I've put that are not in scripture. And that's the, that's our challenge today, isn't it? That's our challenge today with a whole number of hot topics. Well, they, they do that. We should, they should be under church judgment. They do that. They, they, someone needs to talk to them about that. And, and there are times that we need to do that. And understand this, there's, a, there's times that we are to judge within the body. And Paul says, isn't the body that should judge themselves? And we should confront sin. But he also says, why are you condemning each other? Why are you in judgment on each other on things that are not in Scripture? And so the first test has to be, is this in Scripture? In Romans 14, and I encourage you to turn to Romans 14 while we're, while we're going through this. And I've put, an, I, I think I just put Romans 14 in your notes. Read that this week, because in Romans 14, Paul is dealing with this. But throughout Romans 14, he's dealing with a situation where some were saying, you can't eat meat, and some were saying, I can eat meat and, and follow God. And there was this divide forming in the church because both sides were judging the other side as unspiritual on an issue that, that had been approved by Scripture. And so Paul begins to give guidelines to not hold yourself or others to spiritual rules that are not biblical. Look at verses 2 and 3 in Romans 14. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. And again, for God has welcomed him, you get the boundary of Scripture. And if it's within the clear boundary of Scripture, he says, stop judging each other about it. Stop condemning. Stop despising, which is the idea of condemning. And this is, this is hard to balance in a world that says, oh, I don't want to judge. It is wrong to judge. Don't judge others. Now, the, the word for judge in Scripture is the idea of condemning and despising. We are called to confront sin. But Paul's saying on the meat issue, which, which is an area of spiritual freedom, which Scripture has allowed, stop passing judgment on each other. And so the second question of, should I do this? What should I think about someone else doing this? Am I looking down on someone for an area of freedom? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Am I looking down on someone for something that really is an area of freedom? You know, one of the challenges, and and we'll go here this morning, why not? One of the things I hear the most about in the church is drinking. Drinking. And I know sitting in here, there are a number of different views on whether you can drink. And so the, and so we have, we have Romans 14 sitting in this room. Where some feel it's wrong, some feel it's right for them. And so we, we need to read Romans 14 and say, okay, what does God's word say about how we deal with the situation? Now we know biblically that getting drunk is sin. And so that is clear cut. And in fact, the verse says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's an issue of control. 
And so we know biblically that if we drink enough where it starts to affect our behavior and control us in any way, which includes even being tipsy, we have crossed the line and it is sin. I will stand up here and clearly hold that position. But we have people that like to have a glass of wine with dinner or something. Is that crossing that line? No. And so how do we deal with that? For some, though, if their conscience says that's wrong, then they should not do it. And so the question is, how do we love each other and keep from somehow feeling holier on either side of this question and deal with it? There are other scriptures that involve leadership and the encouragement that leadership shouldn't touch it and, and, and all kinds of things. But we have to be careful to say, what does scripture say? There are clear things it says about it. But then am I looking down on someone for something that is an area of freedom? You know, Romans 14 goes on in verses 13 through 16 and 19 and 21 to and read those on your own. The next question is, am I causing spiritual harm to somebody? Am I causing someone to stumble? And Paul clearly says with meat, if I know someone's going to be offended if I eat meat, I would rather give up eating meat than hold to that Christian liberty and destroy God's work in the church. And so with something like drinking or with something like some of the other issues that have, have come up through the church that are there for good reasons, that, that good people have good boundaries there, are we willing to give up what might be a freedom for us for the sake of God's work? for the sake of being entrusted with the gospel? Is the bigger purpose that I should get to do what I want or that I should reflect well on Christ? That's the root issue as we deal with something like this. So am I looking down on someone for an area of freedom? Does it cause spiritual harm to another? Does it cause someone to stumble? In Romans 14.22, down at the end, the faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. The question is, am I flaunting it? Am I flaunting it? Because that verse says, okay, if that's a freedom you have and you're convinced biblically it's okay and you flaunt it, then you're harming the body. And and so many times I watch young people flaunt their their freedoms that they have and say, oh, look, I'm an adult. I have this. Or And God says, you know what? Stop it. Keep it between you and your you and I. It says, keep it between God and yourself. Because as soon as you start to flaunt it, your motivation has changed. It has probably become an issue that crosses a spiritual boundary, but you're harming the body of Christ. And you know, I talk with people and they're like, well, I didn't know that was an issue in the church. We know the issues. We know the disagreements we have. I've had some say, well, well I did that to make a statement. To help people learn that it's Okay. It's not what God's Word says to do. God's Word says, if I know someone has a, an issue with it in the church, if I know it'll cause them to stumble, I'm not going to flaunt it, I'm going to stay away from it. It's about loving each other and being about God's work. Finally, the fifth question, does it build up your walk and build up others? There might be things that are allowable but are not glorifying to God and are not edifying. And we see that through a number of Romans 14 passages again, verse 18, 19, 23. Our eating should come from faith, from our walk with God in this case. 
they should be convinced that it is building up their walk and building up others. So yeah, we could go around on, on areas of freedom and be upset with people, but that will only steal our joy and keep us from enjoying our walk with God. Don't hold yourself or others to spiritual rules that are not biblical. It will keep us from enjoying what God has created. Now keep in mind, as we discuss freedom, there are absolutely things that I am convinced I would not do that it would be wrong for me to do. Does that make sense? That, that may be extra biblical, but areas of my life where I have chosen to set up protection so I don't fall into sin. And those are important to have. I'm not negating those. I'm saying that my weaknesses and my needs of how I walk with God do not equal everyone's needs. You all don't have to be exactly like me to walk with God. Now in the scriptural things, yes. But in some of the, the choices of personal freedom, that becomes an issue of my walk with God and my, my um, conscience with God. I know that we could spend a lot more time on that. I'd love to talk about it. I, if I've left more questions than answers, then let's talk. But read, read Romans 14 first and see what God's Word has to say. Um, read 1 Corinthians 8 and let's look at what God says. Because I want to get to number 4 and end with number 4. Be intentionally thankful as you enjoy His gifts. Be intentionally thankful as you enjoy His gifts. It turns the ordinary into the sacred. And I would say this is the main point of these three verses. All the others are, are, are subpoints and leading up to this, and, but they all lead up to we come to these things, we enjoy God by being intentionally thankful for God, to God for those things. Uh, again, it's a difference of with, with a clock, if, if I take the clock and put it up, and enjoy it, and never say thank you to my wife, and never acknowledge that she got it, there's something missing there. And Paul's saying, no, when you have good gifts from God, come to it with an attitude of thanksgiving, of dependence, of acknowledging that He has given good gifts. And in fact, at verse, in verse 5, well, in verse 3 it says, to be received with thanksgiving. Four, everything created by God is good. Nothing is rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Five, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And that reference to prayer is probably a reference to their blessing before the meal, their prayer of thanksgiving, saying grace before a meal. And so all of those things are be intentionally thankful as you enjoy His gifts. But look at five a little bit more. For it is made holy. It moves from the secular to the sacred. The word for holy is to set apart for a purpose. To set apart, in this case, for God's purpose. And something as ordinary as eating, when we come to it with prayer of thanksgiving, it turns it into the holy. It turns it into the sacred. Those of you going to fast food today, you could have sacred fast food. That burrito might be a holy burrito. And I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm trying to redirect our thoughts again from uh, this division between secular and sacred to if we come to it approaching it as God would have us, everything can be sacred and everything should be sacred and used by God. And the way we do that with His gifts is by giving Him thanksgiving and glory for it. 
Not just taking it with an attitude of, thanks, I deserve that. But I didn't deserve that. God, I am so appreciative of that. This is why we give thanks at meals. One author said, a thankless heart can transform good food into unacceptable food. Our attitude coming to the food, our attitude coming to the item is just as important of whether this is right or wrong before God than the item as the item itself. Are we thankful for all God has given? I want to end today just by by giving some ideas for for prayer at mealtimes. Especially a prayer, sometimes I call that the throwaway prayer. Ever felt that way? You go to meals, and, and how many of you have caught yourself saying the same thing at every meal? Oh, come on. Okay, I have. That, it's me, and may, maybe none of you have. But we can get into routine, right? We can get into, well, this is, this is how we pray at meals. In, in your notes, I put, um, God is good, God is great, the food's on the table, dot, 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 because that's, you know, it's just an ordinary throwaway prayer. But I challenge you, and I really want to challenge the men that are here, that that time before a meal might be the best bang for your buck to lead your family to spiritual things. Not that you shouldn't do other things, but let's start with the low-hanging fruit. Let's start with something that happens three times a day and say, how can we make sure that we are honoring God's Word and, and receiving God's gift with thanksgiving? And I, I thought of bringing tools and a hammer, but I didn't think that would work with the clock. Um, how do I give you tools? How do, what tools can we talk about that would help us lead our families? That would help us turn throwaway prayers to powerful moments of spiritual training for our families? Because it's a great time for real effective spiritual growth. So dads, let me talk to you for a moment. The first three items are really three goals to think of or three thoughts to think of as we come to that prayer at mealtime. I'm not talking, let me just, it's one of the later points, but I think we need to get it out of the way up front. I'm not talking about turning prayer at mealtime into a 45-minute message. That's for me on Sunday morning. No, uh, (laughs) I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about still in two or three minutes, your attitude and what you convey to your family might teach more than I ever could on Sunday morning. Okay? So, so not asking you to become 45-minute preachers. But the first thing is, the, the first goal of that time is to express thankfulness. And if you think of the word thankfulness, how is what I'm doing reflecting that I am thanking God for what He has given? It's an opportunity to show what thankfulness looks like. And thankfulness fights self-centeredness. If I'm not thankful for something, I'm self-centered. And I think I deserve it or I've earned it. Neither of which are true. And so thankfulness is so important to pass on to our kids. It's so important, whether you're a dad or a family or not, that we come to every meal with these, with, with these thoughts. It's a focus on God, not on self. And so, so how can you do that? And this is going to look different depending on the nature of your family. If it's just you and your wife, it's going to look different than if you have young children or if you have teenage children or adult children. If you have young children, something as simple as asking a question like, hey, what are you thankful for today? What are you thankful for today? I do this with my kids all the time. 
And, and I'll, I'll use their names rather than, a general, hey, Alicia, what are you thankful for today? Hey, Mark, what are you thankful for today? What can you thank God for today? And sometimes I have to direct that like, I'm thankful for candy. Okay, let, let's direct that to something that God has given. And, and, but that's a good gift from God, and it'll get to our second point of recognizing His provision. But just take that moment and say, what are you thankful for? Now, now to older kids, that might feel a little bit contrived. I was talking with, with one of the men in the church yesterday, and we were talking about, okay, how do you do this with older, or the day before, how do you do this with older kids? It might be just at the beginning of meal saying, you know what? I just wanted to share something I'm thankful for before we thank God for the food. And in one or two minutes, share something real that you're really thankful for that happened that day. And what you're communicating to your children is that you trust them and respect them enough to share part of your life, but you're leading by example by showing even dad is thankful to God. Say, hey, you know, I'm thankful that um, God did this today. I saw his hand in this. And so that's just, that's just really meaningful to me today. Let's pray. Let's thank God for the food. That is enough in 30 seconds to change the tone of that throwaway prayer. Make sense? Is that doable? Okay, these, these things are doable. With kids, sometimes with my kids, I've even had them draw a picture of something they're thankful for. That's when we have a little more time. That's not a two or three minute thing. But um, if they can't put it into words, hey, draw a picture of something you're thankful for. Draw a picture to God. And, and we're teaching them how to be thankful. And then in your prayer, be sure you thank God for the food But don't just limit it to food. Thank God for anything that's happened that day. Find things. Be intentional. Second word, provision. So that our prayers before meal can have thankfulness in it, but they should also have the idea of provision, a reminder of who provides. This teaches God's greatness. It can be something, thank you God for providing. We're teaching a dependence on God, the source of what we have. Men, we like to give credit where credit is due, right? You don't want to do a huge project at work and have someone else say, oh, this is my work. Give credit where credit is due. God is the, the source of our provision, of everything we have. Let's pass that on. So you know, God has provided this. We should be appreciative of it. You know, before you pray, again, right before you pray, and, and you don't have to do all these at every meal. I, in fact, I encourage you to mix it up and one time focus on something you're thankful for. One time focus on, on his provision. You might say, hey, I was reminded today that, that God provided me my, my job. And I am so appreciative of that. Um, on vacation, you saw the, some of the pictures or you heard me talk about we had some car repairs that had to happen and our car broke down, the brakes went out, which is a bad thing. And, um, but God worked it out so perfectly that our next stop was at a place where there was a larger town. It was our only stop with a larger town. There was a repair place, and there was all the needs that we had for resupplying the trailer and laundry and everything else that just happened. And it happened on a stretch of road where we were safe. So that night, I'm like, you know, kids, I am so thankful that God provided a place to fix our car and that God provided protection. Let's pray. That quick, not a 45-minute message, Dads, you lead your family by being real and showing thankfulness and showing God's provision. Third thing there is the sacred. 
Those mealtimes can help you see everyday life as sacred. Make it a mission. How's God going to use us today? What is God going to do today? Make it your mission. In your prayer, God, please surprise me today by using me. A lot of times I'll focus more on that in the morning, before the day. Then four, they're just thoughts that I can just, just jot these down. Doesn't have to be a high, lofty speech. Doesn't have to be long. In fact, I encourage you to use conversational prayer. Thank you, God. We owe you everything. Fifth, get everyone involved. When we're praying, it's not uncommon for my kids to interrupt and say, oh yeah, and thank you God for this, and, and thank you God for this. You know what? I don't stop that. In fact, afterwards I say, you know, that's great that you're so appreciative of God that you had to share it. And so we talk with God as a family. You're teaching something about prayer when you do that. Six, mix it up. Beware of sameness. You know, use some of these ideas at different times. And seventh, leave space to do this. Leave time to do this. If you never have a meal together, you'll never be able to do this. But let's lead by practicing thanksgiving. And men, let's lead by, by something as simple as bringing meaning to that prayer right before we eat. Huge impact when we change our tone and when we, we bring meaning to that this is bringing glory to God. Enjoy God. Enjoy what He has given. Lord God, our Father, as we go to our education hour right now, I pray that You would continue to open our hearts to Your Word, to the study of Your Word, to the truth of Your Word. Challenge us to walk with You. Challenge us to be equipped and prepared to to share Your Word, to share the Gospel, to stand for truth. In Jesus' name, Amen.